If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I'm William Saradat. And today we're going to be talking about art prizes. So this conversation is really sparked by uh, the announcement that the Guggenheim Museum, which since 1996 has run the Hugo Boss Prize, uh, they announced recently that they aren't going to run it anymore. Or rather, I think they were contacted by a publication about when the next iteration of the prize was going to happen, and then they said, it's not happening anymore. Um, Just in case you're unfamiliar, uh, the kind of down and dirty of the Hugo Boss Prize is that it was a $100,000 award given to an artist every other year. It's not necessarily a lifetime achievement award, but it's for excellence in contemporary art. So it's kind of a list of some younger people who have won it, some people who are a little more mid-career. Like Matthew Barney was the first winner in 1996. Um, Don Vo has won it in recent years. Paul Chan, Simone Lee. Um, There have been, I think, William, like 13 iterations of it ever since it was founded or thereabouts. And so the big deal about this is it came with the $100,000 prize, but it also came with a solo show at the Guggenheim, which for any living contemporary artist is a very big deal. Um, Kind of an auxiliary part of this conversation that I at least always knew, but I realized a little more as we were thinking about this is that For the state of Texas, we have a fair number of art prizes happening within our borders. Um, We have the Nasher Prize from the Nasher Sculpture Center, which was also recently awarded, like within the last month or so. Um, It's $100,000 for someone who's demonstrated excellence in sculpture. Uh, This year, it was awarded to Segunda Ngudi. You know, in the past, it's been Doris Salcedo, Theaster Gates, Isa Ginskin, um, Pretty big names in there. Also, I think a few that are maybe a little more unexpected. And then we also have the Suzanne Dill Booth Flag Art Foundation Prize, which is given by the contemporary Austin. Uh, Initially, it was $100,000, and then the Flag Art Foundation joined the prize and made it $200,000. It's given biannually. Um, Rodney McMillian won the first one. Nicole Eisenman won the second one. Uh, Excuse my pronunciation. Tarek Atui won this most recent one, uh, and there is an announcement uh, that just went up, actually, about the 2024 one that's going to Lubayana Himid. So um, on top of that, we, for a long time in Texas, had the Hunting Art Prize, which ran for 10 years from, like, 2006 about to 2016. That was $50,000 to a Texas artist. Like, we're kind of awash in these big-money art prizes, and... I mean, for my money, maybe save for the MacArthur Genius Awards, the Suzanne Dill Booth Flag Art Foundation Prize is one of the largest that I've seen. A lot of these floating around are kind of 
at the $100,000 mark. That one is $200,000, which is a big deal. With that, William, what's your kind of general take on these larger art prizes? Because, I mean, oftentimes the the big money, the life-changing money, it's going to artists who are kind of well-established or later career at this point. Art prizes, I thought, would be a general topic of interest uh, to our listeners and something that Glass Tire can comment on because it is one of these realms of fine art that are kind of elite. There's not that many of these prizes. They're some of the biggest uh, pots of money you can get in art. Um, They're often tied to, Brandon, as you've mentioned, a solo exhibition at a notable museum or a they denote a lifetime of achievement in fine art. So you're often dealing with either really huge names or really huge names that have been around for a really long time. And as you can imagine, these are sometimes or often centered in metropolitan uh, capitals like London or New York. However, as you mentioned, Brandon, we have um, a couple of these prizes and they're, they've been established somewhat recently. The Nasher Prize established in 2015, and the Suzanne Deal Booth Flag Art Foundation Prize established in 2016. Those are both in Texas, um, and they are of a very similar uh, prize award amount as the Guggenheim's Hugo Boss Prize, which, as we recently have learned, is no more. Um, So I just think it's interesting because these prizes track some very notable names in art, they kind of follow, uh, I don't want to say major trends, but they follow trends in art that have been established as being canon, respected, very important. And some of the most notable prizes in this list, the Turner Prize, uh, the Joan Mitchell Fellowship, um, the Joan Mitchell Fellowship recently had a a name change. the Joan Mitchell Fellowship is the current iteration that was established in 1994. But we're seeing more of them pop up. My point is that with the loss of the Hugo Boss Prize, it almost feels like the center of gravity has shifted just a couple degrees away from New York and more westerly uh, towards Texas. And of course, there's other prizes across the U.S. Yeah, well, and, you know, your point about it kind of being like flavor of the month, depending on who wins the prize. Like, I feel like there's no real way to avoid that because if, if the idea is these prizes are given to, you know, the, the contemporary artists who are um, making the most groundbreaking work or have had a groundbreaking career, like oftentimes it's going to be the people that you expect. I do think a number of these prizes both in Texas and beyond in recent years have done a really good job to try and diversify a little bit. And I mean that in every sense of the word, like um, I was pleased so much this year to see Singa Ningudi awarded the Nasher prize because she's someone who's, you know, whenever I see her work, I'm always blown away. I've never seen enough, like a critical mass of it at one space. But whenever I see individual pieces, like the performance work is good. The sculptural work is good. And the work throughout the career has been super consistent. And I feel like she's someone who, you know, being a, an older female black artist, she's just now starting to get her recognition because of the time we live in and it's deserved. Um, So it's nice to see that happen. 
I, I do feel like also there's an unavoidableness around the prizes that they're wonderful for artists to receive, but also kind of the heart of them is they're really good advertising for whoever their sponsor is. And also they're essentially free advertising for the organization that hosts them. Like I know when the Nasher prize announcement went out, it was in all of the art publications, I think, including ours um, in everyone's, email newsletter subject line that Singanda Nanguti won a $100,000 prize from the Nasher. And of course, like that's big news. It's something that everyone should be aware of. But at the same time, it's like it's total free or, you know, $100,000 free advertising for an organization, which puts these in a really interesting spot because they're, you know, they're given to deserving people. They're given by organizations for really good purposes. And a lot of times they do bring a lot of public benefit, be it a solo exhibition for everyone to be able to see or talks by the artist or, you know, auxiliary programming, kind of like what happens with the Nasher Prize. But also there's an unavoidable, like, marketingness around them just because of their nature. Not that that's necessarily good or bad or that it draws anything away from the people who win, but it's just kind of an interesting complexity of big prizes like this themselves. Yeah, I mean, it a prize of six figures certainly fits a a mode of any art institution's mission, which is to promote, proliferate, support art. So, you're establishing a pool of applicants or a pool of nominees and then you're deciding who or how you're going to disperse this money. And that's a good thing. We we want institutions, that's, that's their role in the cultural cycle, right? To be the conduit, the funnel for willing benefactors and philanthropists and patrons to respect someone's career as well as keep it going. I was kind of interested, like, William, you mentioned the proliferation of prizes in Texas and maybe how there's a degree of a shift of the wind. Um, It was interesting to hear one of the reasons that the Guggenheim talked about the Hugo Boss Prize ending. And, you know, it could be that coming out of COVID, Hugo Boss is reprioritized and isn't going to fund the prize anymore. You know, there could be a whole lot of underlying factors that we just don't know about and will never know about because, I mean, it just ended, right? Um, but the uh, Naomi Beckwith, the chief curator of the Guggenheim, said to Art News, quote, the world was nowhere near as enamored of art as it is now before the advent of the Hugo Boss Prize. I believe that the prize was part of the ascendancy of contemporary art as a major part of programming in all major museums. It allowed the Guggenheim Museum to bring contemporary art to a broader audience and, as such, make art a bigger part of a global, cultural, and societal conversation that you see in fashion, music, cinema, and social media now. We're in an entirely different landscape now. You know, this prize started in 96, so I think that is very much true. Like, the culture has changed a lot in the last, you know, 26 years or however many. But I I also kind of feel like the statement's doing a little bit of heavy lifting. The art world did really watch the Hugo Boss Prize because it was kind of up and coming. I mean, Matthew Barney in 96, right? It was kind of like up and coming, cool people. But at the same time, I feel like it just 
rather than necessarily being part of the ascendancy of contemporary art in other museums, it just kind of gave the Guggenheim an impetus to actually program some contemporary art, like because of the press around it and because it was funded. And, you know, this is a good thing. I'm not agreeing with kind of the merit of that statement, but I feel like blaming museums recognition of contemporary art on the Hugo Boss Prize is maybe a little bit of like, it's a little heavy lifting. William, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are similar to that. I think that, um, you know, if your prize is ending for whatever reason, and that wasn't scheduled, um, then you're going to have to make a statement and you're going to have to say, how important and impactful and influential it was, which, yeah, of course, for sure. But it's also like, well, something has happened and and this prize that was somewhat foundational in the way that maybe like our museum culture, our art culture has, has become and has changed. I mentioned earlier in this discussion, some of the most like well-known prizes were founded at the end of the 80s and in the 90s. And that is a timeline I was not particularly thoughtful or aware of. It almost feels like a slight culture of reality TV that emerged in that time. Like, like you're saying, Brandon, I mean, these are maybe pots of money that would have been distributed one way or another in general, by a big institution. So kind of packaging it and formatting it in a way of being like, oh, look, look at this pot of money. And here's the person we picked. And we're also happy and we're going to celebrate them. Um, That just sounds very 90s to me, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, Also, I agree with you. I'm not cynical about it. Like we want these we want this money circulating in the cultural economy. Um, but this statement is somewhat revealing of just like how we as an art audience or as, you know, purveyors of art, how we're supposed to feel about prizes, um, even when, which is just in contrast to the total money available or maybe the total people that can or will be considered for these prizes. Um, does that make sense? Thinking about it as kind of a marker of its culture or of its time, it's also, you know, not to get too deep into this, but I mean, $100,000 in 96 is completely different than $100,000 today. Like, if if you're talking about the impact of a prize, I, I can imagine in 96 that it was like, oh my God, I won $100,000 and I can do a lot with that. I could, you know, it, it, that could completely transform an artist's career and not saying that it couldn't still transform an artist's career today, but with inflation over the past 30 years, it's going to be a drastic amount of transformation that it could do to an artist's career or it's that that is decreased in some capacity. Absolutely. And I think we can even break down the, the marketing um, capacity, the marketing like allure of this, of this sort of art prize uh, even a little more discreetly. Like, so a lay person is going to come across a headline and say a hundred thousand dollars. Well, gee, I wish I had a hundred thousand dollars. That guy's lucky. But if you're an artist, um, even myself two years ago compared to today, if you were to drop a hundred K in my lap, um, the younger I am, the more I'm going to be like, wow, this is great. And then the older I am, the more I'm going to think like, well, 
lumber is pretty expensive right now. Um, so this is definitely a good thing, but I don't know, am I going to build, am I going to build my mansion house or am I going to build my storage shed? Um, that, I mean, but that's like you're saying, Brandon, that's just an inflationary concern. That's also an interesting point though, because if artists who are receiving these prizes are artists who are, you know, market darlings or artists who are represented by Gagosian and are selling paintings for $400,000 on the primary market. Like if they get a $200,000 prize, it's like, oh, I just sold a painting. Not that, again, not that $200,000 or $100,000, not that that's not impactful to someone's life. I know it would drastically change 99.9% .9 of the population's life, mine included. But to some of the artists who win these things, who make upwards of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year on art sales, it's an interesting, like, barometer or comparison because there are also there are prizes that go to more quote unquote normal people there aren't a whole lot of them but like one is the art prize which is in grand rapids which you know i was looking at the list of winners and i wasn't super familiar with any of them it's not like the Astor gates is winning the art prize in grand rapids but that's I think the awards range, but it's like $450,000 that goes directly to artists. And the art prize has been, I think, criticized in many capacities. Like, it's literally open to anyone. Any artist can enter, and any space can be a venue. So it's like, if you want to show, or at least this is what I gather from it, if you want to show in a coffee shop, like, if that coffee shop applies to be a venue for the art prize, you can show in it, and you're entered to win the art prize. I'm I'm thinking of South by Southwest. Apologies for all the asinine uh, like metaphors, but it's like if you can go, if you can make it there, you can be a part of this thing. Um, and every year, that kind of uh, excitement mounts, and you get more and more and more people. So it's like it is a cool idea because it is democratic in some way. You're opening up a whole city to be like show your best stuff and let's see what you got. But at the same time, it's like, what if, what if you're a gallery or what if you have resources to, and you've been planning for this all year and you post up um, and you've got a big install and you know, you're from Ireland or London or Malibu or whatever, you know, there's going to be kids in Grand Rapids that are from there that like don't go to special schools that are like, well, should I post my stuff? Because all these tourists are kind of like out are going to outperform me. So I all to say that it's like it's really hard to build a prize that is even if you're trying to, to keep it open. It's like there's there's going to be uh, lines drawn at some point. Yeah, like anything that has a prize around it is going to attract people who will throw their own money at it. So it's like it's to build something that's truly democratic. It's difficult. Well, and it was interesting to me. So back in like 2014, 2015, art prize tried to franchise into Dallas and they ultimately pulled out. I think the letter discussed like a lack of support for the prize. And it's just like, it's interesting that 
one or two years later, the Nasher Prize started up. And of course, it's a completely different animal, but it's like there obviously is support for, there's major support for the arts in Dallas and for galas and for these larger things. But maybe Art Prize wasn't, you know, the right flavor for the city or Dallas. It's looked at Grand Rapids and we're like, we don't want hundreds of miscellaneous artists trying to come to win $450,000. You know, there's a whole lot of reasons that it may not have worked, but it's, these are so, I think, dependent on place also. Like, would Hugo Boss sponsor a prize in Corpus Christi? Like, you know, they might give them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to say probably not. Like, it makes sense that it was at the Guggenheim. It makes sense that it was in New York. It's all about place and prestige and who you can partner with in many instances. Kind of on the same end of, like, smaller or maybe not more democratic, but prizes that have maybe more capacity to change people's lives, even if they're not as much money, even if they're not $200,000. We thought about the Rabkin Prize, which was awarded recently. There were two Texas recipients of it, uh, Jean Claire Van Risen, who runs Sightlines out of Austin, and Daryl Radcliffe, who's a writer out of North Texas, out of Dallas. And um, this is also, this is the prize that our former editor-in-chief, Christina Reese, won in 2017. She was part of the inaugural class of it. But I feel like oftentimes journalists, arts writers, you know, they don't have an art market per se. They're not selling paintings for a whole lot of money. Um, So this prize, it's $50,000, but I feel like it has kind of a transformative potential that maybe some big art prizes don't or that they lack just because of who um who who they're awarded to um William what do you think about that I know you also talked to Daryl Radcliffe and kind of got his impression about being selected as a winner yeah I guess I just want to start by couching that like the Rabkin Prize is one of the more recent ones. It was founded in 2017. It's $50,000 each to a group of American arts writers. Uh, it's given by the Rabkin Foundation. And they've, as you mentioned, Brandon, they've supported glass tire writers and editors and other writers within Texas. Um, and so I think maybe we're beating around the notion that an arts writer is possibly not going to be making um, as much money as a world-leading fine artist, like a world-recognized fine artist. Yeah, as the Astor Gates or Nicole Isaman or Rodney McMillian. Like, there's just a difference in output and production and how it's valued. Right. So, I mean, I think that any prize of this sort that I felt... uh, eligible for would be motivating. And I, I personally do find the Rabkin Prize motivating. It's just something that's always in the back of your mind that you're like, do I want to take this assignment? Do I want to go really far and talk to a lot of people and stay up long nights recording and transcribing? And it's like, well, I mean, there's this thing that that if I was ever acknowledged for it, it would feel very validating. Um, and I think that's great for any cultural community, even if it's at a national scale. Um, The difference is that it's a lot of money, but it's not, it's dedicated to a 
pool of people that is like less likely to get these pots of money. And it's also interesting in the context of this discussion because Texans have gotten this prize by the demographics of people that have gotten the prize. Texas is actually well represented. And that's so validating to see. And I think it just kind of further proves that like there is some room in this whole prize uh, environment for like altruistic acknowledgement of good work. And it's not just uh, fancy people awarding fancy people in, in two cities around the world. Yeah, I just, I wanted to chat with Daryl Radcliffe. I wanted to get his opinions um, he's here in Dallas, and I was wondering, like, what does it feel like to be the person that gets acknowledged, um, not just with words, but with funding? And he graciously sent me back a response, which I can read now. It feels surprising when you get a call or email, and it is just like, congratulations, your life has changed. It's overwhelming in the aftermath because a lot of attention and energy is on you. And because of the process, once again, it's work that you have already done, so you may be getting a prize for work that you did a year or two ago, which adds to the feeling of surrealness. And I think that's ultimately relatable. We would all love a, a check to make our lives a little, a little bit smoother. Um, but when it happens to you, I think that statement from Daryl just kind of hits home that it's it must be surreal. Like, you, you have control over it because it's based on your actions it's based on the work you've done the reason that you're getting this acknowledgement but at the same time like you don't have control over being nominated for a prize like this so it it i imagine it would feel equally like wow i didn't even ask for this so i must i must be deserving in some way but then you're like well this is a lot of money and i need to i need to keep this goodwill in my work going because I've been bestowed with this gift. Well, and William, that point kind of brings me to what I think is one of our final points, which is oftentimes larger awards like this act as almost a sort of faux retirement nest egg for the people who win them. Um, you know, the artists who are like Theaster Gates or Nicole Eisenman or Don Vo, like they may not need that. But a lot of times people who win like uh, MacArthur grants or people who are writers or people who are like nonprofit workers who founded organizations who have been in the trenches for years and haven't necessarily, you know, made a living salary for the first half of their career, like I almost see these awards as like, okay, you've done a ton of good work and you're finally kind of getting at least some of your due. And, you know, whether that means that they finally have a down payment for a house or whether that means that they can just put it all in an investment account. Like, I feel like oftentimes that is the real benefit and the real kind of nice thing from an outside perspective is to see people finally get that recognition, right? Because that's what it really comes down to. It's like the monetary award is nice and I'm sure no one would turn it away, but it's also just a validation that what you've been doing for years actually matters. Um, just like you mentioned around the Rabkin. And I feel like that's, I mean, that's ultimate, that's, that's the end goal of this. It's like, it's validation plus, oh, thank God, I might be able to stop working someday. 
I mean, I, that's a great point, Brandon. And I think that it is kind of inescapable, especially if you are, as you say, like a life, a lifer in either art or nonprofit or both that um, it it feels kind of impossible not to look at it like a sort of a salary bonus. It's like a bonus, honestly. It's just, um, and lots of people get bonuses. That's a very standard practice in like a lot of industries. But in this industry, it's like, you're having to hustle and get things funded as they happen. You might be kind of like running up against the paycheck even right after you got it. So for you to get a sizable amount of money all at once, it it could feel like, okay, this is like, I've been working for this and now I'm being acknowledged and now I can kind of like, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, but like you said, Brandon, one of the most realistic outcomes is like, uh, I know if I was given 50 grand for any reason at all, <laughs> I would immediately adjust my, you know, my expectations for purchasing a home um, for millennials, for Americans, for pretty much all people alive right now, um, securing, securing your future housing. That's just a big concern. Um so I think it's a good I think it's a good point and I I appreciate that there's like some outlet for for this kind of recognition um because there's a lot of people doing a lot of work and we would like to maintain the creative culture as much as we can all the time. You don't want to discourage people from participating. Um you want people to feel like they have a future of some kind. They have some uh like their work can translate into not even just hope, but like that their work can be seen, received, acknowledged, and valued. Well, and with that, uh, before we wrap up, uh, <laughs> shameless plug that if we're talking about prizes, Glass Tire also does do a prize. We do a writing prize, and it's a little more uh, – Narrow, it's open to undergraduate seniors and graduate students. And right now we're running one in North Texas. And, you know, all this talk about prize talk, we didn't want to bring up the writing prize too much, but I feel like one of the reasons it, so it's a $2,500 prize that goes to the winner. We have a guest jurors, just like a real prize. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons we did a monetary prize and a monetary prize that for the audience at least is significant. Like I know if I was a university student and I saw a $2,500 writing prize, I would definitely submit because that's months of living expenses <laughs> when you're in college. Um, it's, it's because it's, it's incentive and it's something that you feel like you're actually getting something out of it or you have a hope or you have the ability, you know, to get money that wherever you're at will impact your life in some way, shape, or form. Uh, William, do you have any writing prize thoughts before we fully wrap up? Just that all eligible students at uh, North Texas universities um, should absolutely submit and apply, echoing Brandon's thoughts. I know that I applied to lots of prizes in college, um, and every little bit helps. And I just think of it as like, you're going to be doing writing. I know you university students are writing. Um, so maybe consider how you can apply that work to a prize and uh, best of luck to everyone. And with that, thank you for listening this week. We will be back in two weeks with another Art Dirt. 
we encourage you. There's a ton of stuff that's opened. It's the fall in Texas. Take a look at our event listings and go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.